The following message is presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Now the message. Here we are in 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at, I'm going to try to get through three more statements, cliches, comments that Christians use pretty much on a day-to-day basis that are nowhere in Scripture. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at two, (laughs) two, one, God will not allow you to go through more than you can bear. And so we looked at in Scripture that that, that, they didn't say that anywhere. Now he said, he does say, come to me, all you are weary and heavy, and I'll give you rest. But friend, there's no, when we went back and we discussed how in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were created to live forever in a perfect relationship with God the Father, in perfect harmony with all of creation. And when sin entered the world, we were given more than we can bear No parent was ever supposed to lose a child. No spouse was ever supposed to live alone. And so the consequences of sin are more than we can bear psychologically, emotionally, and relationally. And so God says in those times when, and we talked about how trials and temptations are different. Temptation comes from within, trials come from without. That no matter the situation... God will give you the ability to overcome the temptation or get through the trial, but it will be more than you can bear. Second, we looked at the statement, God helps those that help themselves. And we looked how that was actually found in the Koran. It is nowhere in Scripture. We were helpless in our sin. We were unlovable in our filth. And Christ reached down to us through His death, burial, and resurrection. And so that enables us to look at the lost world through a different lens. When I go out and I see folks, when I run into people, meet people. See, we often want people to show some kind of effort before we invest in them. And what we need to remember is you showed no effort when Christ died on the cross for you. Do you understand? You, had, you didn't even have the ability to show effort. There was nothing in you good. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so we looked at those two things. And so this morning we're going to begin, and I'm going to ask if you're in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, would you stand for the reading of his infallible inerrant words, serving as a final authority on all matters of faith and practice. And it says... For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the beauty of this day and the occasion on which we can gather. And I pray, Lord, this assembly will not be out of habit or a ritualistic effort to please you. But it will be out of a desire to know you more and to serve you better. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would ignite a fire, a passion in each of our lives for the truth. Not just for the truth, but the application of your truth into our lives. And it is in the power and by the blood of Jesus Christ we pray. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. That's our Jesus. Amen. You be seated, friend. 
So obviously you can probably gather the first statement is money is the root of all evil. Friend, money is, is the scripture just contradicts that. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is necessary. There's no way in our world you live without being affected by the economy and the standard of money, right? Everything is based on monetary value. And, and so for the Christian to need money or for the Christian to want more money is not necessarily evil. How many of you have ever had a job and prayed or wished or worked for a promotion? Right? So that there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to have a better life. There's nothing wrong with wanting to give more to your family and your children. There's nothing wrong with wanting a vehicle that doesn't break down. Everybody understands? Amen. Okay, so it's okay. Now, it is historically accurate, unfortunately. I've been in the parking lot with church folks, and somebody pull up a new car, and they'd be like, ooh. Ooh, wow, boy, they got them a nice rig. Wonder, wonder what they do. You know, we, we ought to celebrate God's blessings on families rather than, than ridicule or pick at it. I pray, and listen, here's my prayer for each of you. I pray God blesses you, listen, in the exact correlation to your faithfulness. I pray God blesses you as much as He can. But friend, that can and that prayer goes back to are you being faithful with what He's given you? There's nothing wrong with wanting more if you've been faithful with what you've entrust, been entrusted with. And so folks often get upset at the church for offerings and things of that matter. Friend, we, do you understand we have electric bills and upkeep bills? We have payroll just like many other businesses. Everyone understand that? Say amen. All right. And we do rely on your faithfulness, but for the love of it, right? And it goes back, and let's look at the verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Because if you fall in love with money more than God's standards, and this is going to be a tough one, if you fall in love more with money than God's standards, there's nothing guiding you. There's nothing keeping your path straight. You're only focused on achieving the end result, and the rules are out the window. Well, I would never do that, you say. I've got one simple question. Are you faithful to the Lord financially? And if the answer is no, then you've already thrown the rules out the window. You see, we're going to have, deal with another statement in just a minute, but God's sovereign. And here's what I've learned over our time in, our time in being married and having children. And we, do, we still got a vehicle broke down down at the transmission shop. Friend, things don't always work out. There's surprises. But God is sovereign, and I believe that. I believe that He oversees and supersedes, which means from His position of sovereignty and authority, He can superimpose, which means He can cause things to happen. More or less what that means, this is His world and He governs the outcome. Do you understand there is nothing that happens that takes God by surprise? Satan is ruling this world. We see that day in and day out. But he's doing so because God is allowing him to. And there's going to come a time when God says, no more. Son, go get him. <coughs> and it's over. Satan will have a few more years. And then he's gone into the abyss. 
And so, I, I'm, again, I'm not real smart, but I figured out if he's sovereign, then I can't hide. If he's sovereign, then I can't lie. And who would I be if I was trying to hide something from him? I would be a biblically ignorant or an absolute rebellious Christian. You can't be both. So, when it comes to money and the the love of, so I either love the Lord or I love the money. Now, once I start being unfaithful and I justify, oh, God doesn't need it. You know what? You're right. And to be honest with you, if you've got a hesitation about giving, keep it. You know, the Lord will provide. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You realize that? So I'm, not, I'm never going to beg you for anything. You're going to be given an opportunity. I believe God's people ought to respond faithfully. But friend, here's, here's the truth. You get blessed or you don't. That's kind of on you, right? So don't be upset at anybody who gives you an opportunity to be faithful just because you choose not to be. Okay, I don't want to spend too long on that because I know that's a sensitive one. And well, let's look at this. We've got to address a few just real life statements. It's not in the budget. Okay? It's not in my budget to be faithful. Yet how that doesn't really, that doesn't hold up. So, what I decide in unfaithfulness is, Lord, I love this, this, this portion more than I love the portion that you can give me. And so I'm going to keep what I can count rather than trust you for what I can't. Remember the nation of Israel in the Exodus series? Lord, we'd rather go back to Egypt in slavery than to wander out here and have to trust you. Let's keep going. You ready for number two? I don't like that one. Number two. Well, here we go. Number two. I like this one. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to jump around, and I'm sorry we're jumping around. It's just different topics. Normally, I like to find a verse to stick with it, but the book of Isaiah, Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 55, and we're going to deal with the statement, God works in mysterious ways. Sounds cool, doesn't it? Um, it's actually, I, I believe it was Mike Ditka that actually came out and said this, um, that the Lord works in mysterious ways, and it, it's really more bono than it is Bible. Um, but yeah, I said, man, Lord, God works in mysterious ways, and all the church usually says amen. Well, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, and this is most likely where this, this statement cliche comes from. It's close as I could get. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For even as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we say God works in mysterious ways. Well, Scripture tells us to never cease wondering about the mysteries of God. And now in that context, it is that God is beyond comprehension. Um, the human mind cannot comprehend the glory, the beauty, uh, the supremacy of who God is. 
But does God work in mysterious ways? Or did he reveal to you exactly what he was going to do and when he was going to, not when, but what he was going to do and how he was going to do it? It's right here. So anytime we say, well, I just don't understand how God works. Well, friend, you, you've not recognized a few things. We've got to go back to this concept, this truth, this fact about his sovereignty that he's way up here. And so how does he do these things? It's not mysterious. It's that he is sovereign. God is in control and he told me he's in control. My problem is I want to try to understand him when he's told me everything I need to know. God is as mysterious to you as you are ignorant to scripture. You need to get that one. That one hurts. Friend, he told me who he is. He told me why he does what he does. He told, he's told me so much about how he's going to do it. The mysteriousness of God is that we don't take the time to, to, to study and understand the revelation. Yes, God is above us, but He's revealed Himself to us. And so what we often do is, is use this blanket thing to justify our ignorance and enable our justification. Well, God works mysterious ways. And I've, I've heard stuff like, and I, I'm sorry if this has happened to anyone, but friend, just since then, I've heard people say, well, I, I had an affair on my spouse, and because of the affair, affair I ended up meeting this great, my, the best, best husband I could have ever had. God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> I mean, these are things folks say. Well, you know... Uh, I was out of money, so I went down and bought a lotto ticket, and I won 10000 God works in mysterious ways. No, 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 no. He really doesn't work in those ways. Scripture says, all things work together for the good of those that love Him, that are thee called according to His purpose. So His sovereignty is not mysterious. It is sovereignty. It is absolute authority. Over creation. Now what we like to do is cling to the mystery so that our sin has some degree of ambiguity and we can try to glue this false rationalization for our actions and our beliefs. God is not as mysterious as we say He is. That does not mean we know and understand. We know and understand everything we need to know and understand. And I'm not taking away from his deity. I'm saying God really does what God said he would do. And so is that really mysterious? Or So here, let, let's deal with another. Knowing God's will, we've made this seem very hard. Have you ever had a decision and just wanted to know God's will? Anybody? Nobody? If you've ever wanted to know God's will, take that hand up. Wake yourself up. I know we're all VBS hungover just a little bit. You're going to get through today, all right? So, yeah, we, we get to that, those tough decisions in life. And then we wonder, what do we do? Well, he, here's, here's what you do. First, you do what God has told you to do in finding His will. You seek Him. So why is it 
that we can say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your... And then wonder if we're going to find His will. Do you understand the contradiction in those two statements? If He says He's going to direct our path, well, would God ever direct your path inconsistent with His will? No. So people say, how do, I, how do I find God's will? You pray. And I had this conversation with a gentleman this past week. You fast. You abandon the securities and comforts of this world and you pursue Him. And I'm telling you, whatever it is your heart sets, is set upon is His will. You see, we're caught in this idea of mystery. That God is hiding. So if God is mysterious, then He's hiding Himself from us. It's not true. It's not true. He said, whoever seeks me shall find me. So is that really mysterious? Or is that a God who's revealed Himself and made Himself known? But we make the choice not to know Him. To not know His will. Let's get to the last one. Time's running. Time runneth nigh. It's pretty cool, huh? I always wanted to say something like that, but it never fit. And it actually did. We have, I'm going to have to just keep doing this. We have three minutes left. (laughs) One, okay. Three. Oh, I like this one. Galatians 2.20. Now, for a completely humanistic culture, This one's going to sting a little bit. Galatians 2.20, number three. You know, it just warms my hearty heart heart that old Jesus up there in heaven, he's just looking down on all the expanse of his creation, created his for glory. He just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. Well, that tickles your fancy, doesn't it? God just wants me to be happy. Hmm. Let's let's just look at this in the context of the purpose of creation. God created the heavens and the earth for his glory, to worship him. Happy. I don't don't even know if I know what happy is, right? As an adult with bills and taxes and responsibilities. I know joy. I know joy and comfort and peace. But happy in this world? What what does that mean? Happy is, is, is temporal, right? It's finite. But to say God wants me to be happy is God serves me my whims and my expectations and he will overlook my faults if they lend themselves to my happiness if god wants me to be happy if god wants me to be happy and then my life comes into a contradiction with his word he just wants me to be happy so i can negate the truth to justify my happiness. Do you know how unstable sort we are? Friend, I mean, you catch me at different times of the day, especially if I haven't eaten by 1130. 
And there's nothing happy about me. Nothing at all. So let's look at this. So scripture says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've never thought about dying and thought, oh, that makes me happy. I have been hungry and thought about brownies and been happy. Jeanette tries to kiss me all the time, and it makes me happy. When the kids mow or do things right, it makes me happy. When I'm tired, I never thought I would look forward to bedtime. But I don't know if it's not the happiest moment of my day. Especially when the air conditioner is working. And I normally have a large turbo fan right in my face. It's it's hot. The fan makes me happy. At 10 o'clock, I often wake up. Or I haven't been asleep yet. And I think about a snack in the pantry. And I get happy. You see... God did not create me. His goal is not that I would be happy in serving myself. And that's where we take that statement. God wants me to be happy because I define happiness. No, 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 no. God defines holiness, not happiness. And so Scripture Consistent with Scripture, God is most glorified in us. Catch this one. This is heavy. God is most glorified in us when we are most content in Him. And so happy. Happy is normally a situation that we create that is temporal at best, but meets some of our basic human needs. Food, clothing, shelter, sex. I mean, that, that's just basic human needs. And so when those are met, we may experience some degree of happiness. But that happiness should never come as a contradiction to God's Word. Do you think God cares more about His holiness, my holiness, or my happiness? Holiness! And so, friend, where does that boil down to? Well, it, it changes lives. Because I'm not striving for that moment that's going to bring me happiness anymore. I'm striving and I'm living for that moment that is going to bring holiness into my life. Which brings glory to Him. I can be happy and Him not receive glory. I cannot live holy and Him not receive glory. See, because God, it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. But to say that God's purpose, that God exists, that God created us so that we could enjoy life. God created you to worship him. Okay? Grace is that you get to enjoy life. But this idea that God's world, here I am, here I am, and God created everything to revolve around me. 
Because he wants me happy. He wants me taken care of. You see, God's supposed to be at the center here. And we're supposed to be revolving around his person and his purpose, his glory, his intention, his commands. Not this idea of happy. Do you know why we're in the perversion we're in as a culture? Because everybody wants to be happy. And you know what happy, you know what pursuing happiness leads to? Absolute perversion. Because happiness leads to this greed, this innate fallen human greed that will stop it. It, it is an insatiable desire to seek out the greatest level of happiness. Happiness is not necessarily holiness. And so, we consider, I mean, let's go back to the marriage thing. Friend, I don't know where your marriage is. You've gone through divorce. The Lord, hey, God God, got to work. God will forgive. God will heal. God will restore. But we got to get back to the justification, the rationalization we use to introduce sin into our lives. Well, I'd be happier with them. What keeps you from being happy right where you're at? Is it not a problem here? Is it not a problem you started entertaining up here and through those eyes? And then your heart started wavering, right? You look at something long enough, you'll want it. I'm on a diet. And she made brownies the other day. And I told you about my $9 ice cream, strawberry. Well, she made those brownies. I was like, no, I don't want one. I was being so resilient. I was sitting in the couch thinking about them. I could smell them. And then I told her I didn't want any, and then Jeanette just trying to make me happy, right? She brings me this gallon bowl with 48 brownies in it. And that $9 for the ice cream, it was the biggest bowl of ice cream I've ever seen. And she put it right in my face and said, hey, here you go. And I looked at it. And I started thinking, that brownie's warm. And that ice cream is cold. And brownie and strawberry make me happy. <laughs> right? And before you know it, I had that in my hand. And I was shoveling it in my face without any self-control, with an absolute lack of discipline. And when I was done, I couldn't breathe. (laughs) Right? There may have been pieces of brownie coming up because there was nowhere to fit it down there. And I thought to myself, I shouldn't have thought about it. I shouldn't have looked at it. Right? Well, you look at something long enough, you're going to justify it. So I'd tell you, take your eyes off what you think is going to make you happy. And put your eyes on what God said will make you holy. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity we have to come this morning and to celebrate, Lord, the truth of your word. And I thank you for the fun in life, the, the situations that are so silly, but do, Lord, you, your spirit constantly teaches us. And Lord, I pray you bless, you bless the folks of this church to the degree they are faithful. Lord, that you would give them 
as much as they will be faithful with so that, Lord, they don't have any worries or financial concerns because they've trusted You. And Lord, I also would ask that You would continue to reveal Yourself to all of us so that we would know who You are. There has never been so much written in one book about a person. And so, Lord, the only excuse we have for your mystery is ignorance. Sure, there's things we can't comprehend, but who you are, how you love us, the intention, the motivation, the purpose, Lord, it's revealed. And last, Lord, I, I have in time pursued my happiness, and it has been sin. It has inevitably led to sin that has scarred my life. And Lord, I just ask that you'd teach me your ways. Lord, that my eyes would feast upon the truth of your word, not in the cares, compassions, and the lustful passions of this world. You created a man to be with one woman, a woman to be with one man. So Lord, I pray that that whoever we are married to today, that they will remain our spouse for the remainder of our life. And that those eyes will go nowhere but your word, the truth and the commands of it. Happy? Lord, I pray you give me joy. And it is in the name that is above every name, the lover of our soul, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about Bayou Vista, including contact info, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.